The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here's your top five at five. Eat your Wheaties, grab a cup of strong coffee. It's a huge day, one that Jim Cramer calls the most important 72 hours of the year. The Nasdaq and S&P look to push further into record territory. Overseas, India calling in the Army help battle the devastating surge in COVID. We are live on the ground with the very latest there. All charged up, Tesla with record quarterly results. The electric automaker lays out an optimistic road ahead. Lyft throwing in the towel on autonomous cars, dumping off the unit, moving on. And your morning RBI is busting out our crystal travel ball. It looks at the signals that China may be sending about our return to the skies. It is Tuesday, April 27th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Oh yeah, people do want to get away and they are booking. You're going to want to hear that travel segment coming up. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching or maybe anywhere in the world you may be going soon. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Well, it is a huge few days. You got tons of earnings. You got the Fed meeting tomorrow. It starts today, the decision tomorrow. OPEC also meets tomorrow and the president's speech tomorrow night, trying to sell the American people and maybe other members of Congress on his latest spending plan. So here's how we look ahead of all of that. And futures, they are higher. Not a lot, but they are up across the board. Dow futures up about 30 Now, the S&P 500 did edge higher again yesterday, and every time it closes higher, you guessed it, it ends at another record high. That's exactly what happened with the S&P 500 yesterday. The Nasdaq composite up just about 10% so far year to date. So you can see it's been a little bit choppy, but overall, a very solid year for most of the major averages. Well, you will all have plenty to chew on and digest with a number of high-profile earnings and guidance on tap today. And if you're feeling a little bit sleepy, here's what Jim Cramer said a few moments ago on Twitter. Man is always working. And he just said, quote, We are entering the gauntlet, the most important 72 hours of the year. Get fired up or go home. There you go. Find out later today why Jim said that. And one of the stocks that everybody will be talking about today is Tesla. It posted record net income of $438 million in the first quarter, beating earnings and revenue expectations. But part of that was not cars. It was Tesla's sale of Bitcoin, as well as other regulatory credits, environmental credits. But speaking of cars, Tesla did say it delivered nearly 185,000 of them during the last quarter, more than double the number from a year ago. Shares of Tesla right now, they're down just a bit, not a lot off about 3%, but after rising nearly 9% on Monday during the session. All right, let's look around the world now. 
a muted trading session. Most places, they're probably waiting on stuff like we just talked about, the Fed and OPEC and the President Biden. Japan was down, Shanghai up fractionally. And in Europe, again, no clear trend, as we noted, of markets there may be waiting for our massive day here. Tomorrow, we are seeing a mixed trade. Almost every market is basically flat. But right now, let us step outside of markets and talk about something that is far more important. The devastating toll that COVID is taking right now in India. New virus cases, still over 300,000. Death toll, nearing 200,000. But Indian authorities have called on the army to help and distribute scarce oxygen supplies, along with other aid from countries like America, Britain, and Germany. In the meantime, Gilead Sciences says it'll give India at least 450,000 vials of its antiviral drug Remdesivir and help boost production in a bid to combat and treat the surge there. Royal Caribbean is temporarily suspending all assignments of its staff from India and will also halt hiring in that country. That according to a report by Crew Center. CNBC TV 18's Timsi Japuria joining us now from Delhi with the very latest look of what is happening on the ground, Timsi, and the entire world is watching because it looks like a very devastating situation. Well, that's right. Uh, There's a marginal dip in the number of uh, cases reported in India today from the peak, which was witnessed yesterday. India recorded (coughs) over 3.23 lakh new COVID cases in last 24 hours ending Tuesday morning, a decline from the peak of 3.52 lakh cases, which was reported on Monday. The total tally of infections in the country today is now over 1.76 crores. Out of these, over 28.82 lakh cases are currently active, while 1.45 crore people have recovered after testing. Testing positive. 2,771 new fatalities were reported today, taking the dead toll to over 1.98 lakhs. In the national capital, Delhi, 20,201 cases were recorded in last 24 hours, with a positivity rate of 35%, and 380 deaths were reported. Pan-India positivity rate is at 19.5%. Meanwhile, Health Ministry says that a steep rise in daily new cases has been witnessed, and it is crossing the first peak which was reported on 5th of April. Almost all states are currently witnessing a growth trajectory that is higher than what was reported in the previous wave, which is concerning for the government. Hospital infrastructure is getting stressed in some parts of the country. Health Ministry has cautioned that doctors and people have to rationally use oxygen, appropriate prescription for drugs under investigational therapy like remdesivir, oscilizumab, etc. is critical right now. Health Ministry has also requested people to wear masks at home as well, especially double masking should be a preferred way to curb the spread of COVID where patients are in home isolation for the others taking care of that patient. National Capital continues to grapple with oxygen shortage and non-availability of hospital beds as numbers pile up. Just an hour back, Delhi Chief Minister Arvind Kejriwal said that Delhi government has decided to import 18 oxygen tankers from Bangkok. They will start arriving from tomorrow. Centre is likely to allow use of Air Force planes for this. Delhi will also be importing 21 ready-to-use oxygen plants from France, which can be brought in use immediately, resolving the oxygen crisis in hospitals in New Delhi. Meanwhile, India is also importing oxygen, oxygen concentrators and medicines like remdesivir and other essential equipment to help country battle its worst hit so far. Back to you. Yeah, Tim C. Japuria in Delhi with a look at the situation in India, which the world Timsey is watching. Thank you very much. 
Well, India also matters to the global economy and the markets as well. India, remember, has got a $3 trillion GDP. It's about 12% of our global supply chain. It's also a huge consumer and importer of oil, the third biggest in the world. So investors are also watching the situation there closely. But it's not just that. Earnings also key for us here. And so far, earnings that we have seen have been pretty nothing short of spectacular. Let's bring in Gina Sanchez, CEO of Chantico Global, chief market strategist at Lido Advisors, and a CNBC contributor. Obviously, Gina, everybody's wishing India the best as well. They're watching it from an economic perspective, from a human toll, which is more important, of course. We're also balancing out earnings. Do you feel like overall the, the focus has kind of shifted back to guidance and numbers? Because for a year, for, by the way, obvious and rightful reasons, we've been focused on this, this global pandemic. Yes. In fact, in the United States, we're almost feeling like we're having an entirely uh, different uh, experience than the rest of the globe. Um, if you look right now, a lot of these numbers have a very easy comp. We are comparing to really when the economy shut down last year. And so the numbers are spectacular. They were expected to be spectacular. And they're coming in largely uh, within expectations. And the market has had a really dramatic shift. Um, we observed for about three months, um, we saw the markets getting very negative, basically preferring anything with low volatility. We saw this really, really big rise in uh, uh, value stocks. Uh, GARP, you know, really growth at a reasonable price, um, was, was really outperforming the rest of the market. But the market has actually shifted back to a risk on uh, position. So we think that's kind of an interesting shift right now. Yeah, and is the risk going to be back on where the risk was on prior to the risk being off, which is big technology, you know the names, the FANG stocks, plus a few others? Or do you think the risk will go to those, those cyclicals a lot of people have been talking about, the people that make giant tractors and other industrial gear, which are not sexy, but have been getting a little bit of traction lately? Well, I think the catch-up trade is a very real trade. I think that pent-up demand is certainly we're experiencing it right now. Um, certainly, I'm in Los Angeles, and we see more people in restaurants than we've seen. People are shopping. And there is just an incredible pent-up demand, and not just in consumer discretionary, but like you said, things like tractors, heavy machinery. Um, all of these things are experiencing very, very strong catch-up trades. But if you look at the last three months, the market really preferred growth but at a reasonable price. And that's where, you know, you still had to have growth, but it couldn't just be value for value's sake. That's one of the reasons that we think that tech actually continues to put one foot in front of the other and not just uh, small baby steps, but really continuing to grow. And this is a, a sector that really didn't slow down in the pandemic. Um, and the outlook before the pandemic for many of these segments, you look at Microsoft, for example, Microsoft's cloud business is going to continue to grow regardless of the pandemic. It certainly put a focus on business continuity um, and remote working and those concepts. But everything that was there that was going to propel it has actually still there. Um, that doesn't go away. So we think that there's still room to run yeah. in names like tech, but there's catch up as well. We got the Fed meeting starts today, goes to tomorrow. It's going to get a lot of attention. I feel like maybe it shouldn't. You know, I, we hear from Fed speakers, it seems like almost every day now, which I, I find odd, but hey, that's their prerogative. And I feel like the Fed, there's nothing they can do to help the markets, 
they could only hurt at this point, right? Their, their policy probably couldn't get any more easier or quantitative or whatever you want to do or wh- whatever you want to say about it. Would you like to see the Fed just kind of for the next few meetings say, nothing's changing, have a nice day? Or is there something the Federal Reserve can still proactively do to help this market, if need be, which not like the market needs help. You know what I'm saying. They've kind of been putting their foot in the gas pedal now for a while. Well, one of the things, though, that uh, Jerome, that Fed Chair Jerome Powell has been doing is he's been actively coming out saying that the inflation that we are experiencing, that we're seeing building um, in the markets and that we're certainly seeing uh, build up in the in the tips markets is likely to be transitory in short term, meaning that some of this is just because there were supply chain disruptions. There is an economy of you know, sort of this this, you know, pre-pandemic, you know, this post-pandemic economy that's really kind of getting going in fits and starts. And it's causing some short term inflationary reaction. That's really what people need to continue to listen to is, does that rhetoric change? Because that's what causes the Fed to move. But they have such a momentum bias in their framework now, it will take them 12 months to move. So you're right. It's going to be 12 months of everything still the way it was before, unless they say otherwise. Yeah, I talked to a market insider a couple days ago off the record. And uh, this person who's a former Fed official said the Fed wants to, quote, supercharge the American economy, particularly ahead of the, oh yeah, the 2022 midterm elections, which everyone has their eye on. Gina Sanchez, Chantico Global, good to hear that California and LA are kind of opening back up. Gina, best to you. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. All right, we are just getting started. And when we come back, your morning's big money movers, including shares of the Reddit crowd favorite GameStop taking off once again. Plus, you haven't booked that summer trip yet? Well, it may already be too late. New numbers out this morning from Adobe showing how much we are all booking travel and the one area of the country that is still nervous. And later on, Alon Mui talking to one of the top Democrats when it comes to taxes, getting his plans for investing in human capital. There's a capital. Sun is not yet up over Washington, D.C., but we're up. We're glad you are. Dow Futures up 31, and we're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back. Time now to hit this morning's three big money movers. And in focus right now, investment banking, 
camera companies and the company behind arguably the biggest stock story of the year so far. Anyway, here we go. Stock number one, UBS. The Swiss bank posting a 14% rise in first quarter profit on record high client activity, with the world's largest wealth manager also revealing it took a $774 million hit related to, you guessed it, the Archegos trading scandal. Seems like nobody was free of that. UBS says that it exited the remaining positions this month, and any related losses in the second quarter will be, quote, immaterial. Stock number two is Snapchat. Shares dropping after the camera company announced a plan to offer $1 billion in convertible debt. Snap intends to use the proceeds for things such as working capital and operating expenses. And stock number three, yeah, GameStop. Shares jumping. It raised more than $500 million in a stock offering as it accelerates a shift to e-commerce. You go, roaring kitty. GameStop up about 8% in the pre-market. All right, on deck. It is a good old-fashioned billionaire space race battle. On one side, Jeff Bezos' Blue Origin taking on NASA over its multi-billion dollar moon contract with billionaire Elon Musk's SpaceX. We're back with more right after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. It is time now for your morning RBI. And today we are looking into our travel crystal ball. Because remember, we've been talking a lot about the coming boom in travel, particularly by plane. Well, it's already happening a little bit. Three of the last four days, more than one and a half million Americans have gotten on a flight here in the States. But China is the real tell about what may be going to happen. Because what's happening there may be a precursor to what happens here. And look at this. According to FlightAware, China air traffic is now above where it was pre-pandemic. That's that little circle. Orange is this year, right? Blue is 2020, obviously. Whatever that is, purple or black, is 2019. Commercial flights in China are now busier than they were in late April of 2019, months before even the faintest hint of COVID. Incredibly, basically for air travel, COVID in China is completely gone. And it's not just flights. TomTom driving data shows that for a few moments a week ago, Beijing had more car traffic congestion than in March Again, of 2019, not 2020, 2019. Stay home, work from home. (laughs) Doesn't look like it, at least in China, where everyone is back on the road or back in the skies. Random, but interesting, and maybe a precursor to what happens here. Because it is not just China. New data from Adobe out this morning shows that U.S. travel is also on the rebound. And oh yeah, so is spending. Joining us now in the first on CNBC is Jason Woolsey, Vice President of Commerce Product and Platform at Adobe Experience Cloud. Jason, good morning. You track data, you track spending data, trends. What kinds of trends is Adobe seeing for the American consumer 
and travel. I got to imagine they're loading up those credit cards to load up the planes this summer. That's right. We've got a, you know, a regular tsunami of activity around uh, not only just travel data with flights and hotels looking up, uh, not quite as aggressively as they are in our APAC region where the lockdown and some of the, the, uh, the controls that they put in place actually had, you know, very uh, early merits in, in those regions. And so not unexpected that they'd be kind of leading the charge uh, as we sort of reemerge into a normal digital society. Uh, we crunch the numbers all over the place looking at how the shift from uh, physical goods to digital goods has impacted and what, what we expect that kind of durability to be. So as, as you start thinking about, you know, we lived in a world with digital and now we are living in a digital first world, uh, some of these habits are durable. And so we're starting to see consumers uh, as they gain confidence in their ability to go back to stores, still hanging on to these uh, uh, digital touch points and, and the convenience associated with, with shopping online. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what's amazing, Jason, is I've been looking at a, at a trip uh, over Christmas break, and the, just the numbers from I'm not two to three weeks ago, the flights, the seats, the costs, the seats are going down, the rooms are coming down, and the costs are coming up. It is not inconceivable. And I, this is one of my predictions, by the way, at the end of last year. I said I thought Vegas would be completely full by Labor Day. I think I'm going to be delayed on that. How much activity are you seeing among things like flights and, and hotels? Yeah, it's a great question. As we drill down into the data, right, bookings for, for March are up 110% uh, versus the weeks before the, uh, the rollout of the vaccine up 57% over February and 79% over January. So I think what you're, the sentiment that you're seeing here is very much real. We've got pent up demand. There is a uh, tremendous amount of, of American travel that is yet to be done this year. Uh, and I think we're starting to see the signs that consumers now have confidence that the uh, CDC regulations and, and controls are starting to be effective. And frankly, that we're getting some vaccine rollout, uh, you know, in the hundreds of millions uh, which gives people a whole lot of confidence to go get this stuff done. So, yeah, absolutely. Just and that, the, the and that, that actually, yeah, that matters a lot in many ways, but you've got some data as how much it matters here. And I'm not knocking or flexing on my Northeast friends. I'm here in the Northeast. Uh, we were the first ones to get hit. I don't know where you are, Jason. We got destroyed. It was a extremely terrifying few months here in March of, through June, whatever of last year. Your data shows that the Northeast uh, which, you know, you know, we kind of get people make fun of us a little bit because we're driving in cars by ourselves with masks on. But a lot of people are scared and it, it reflects in the travel and rightly so, by the way, and it reflects in the travel data. We in the Northeast are the last to book, are we not? But we also have the biggest vaccination impact. Once we're vaxxed, we're ready to get back. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I mean, the, uh, the propensity to travel is, you know, a little bit more conservative in those regions, but Again, the, the vaccinations uh, proclivity there is, is very, very high. So you're starting to see, you know, broad distributions of vaccines. And that will, you know, at some point lift the sentiment of, of these uh, of these consumers and, and get them back out into the uh, into the overall uh, economy. I think uh, hotels are another area where, you know, we're starting to, to see this turning the corner, really. Of, of Bookings growth is up 50 percent uh, for hotels prior to the vaccine rollout, 41% versus February, 54% versus January. So kind of following that, uh, the flight uh, track. So we're, we're starting to see, you know, Americans ready to get back out there and put those stimulus dollars to work. Yeah, and based on some of the uh, airfares that I'm seeing and how they're going up, Jason, just in a matter of weeks, the Sullivan's maybe driving to wherever we're going. 
over Christmas break, Jason Woolsey of Adobe. We appreciate the insight. Fascinating data, Jason. Have a great day. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. All right, folks. Like you said, book now. I'm telling you, just look at the flights today and then look again in a week and you're going to see the seats just going, going, gone. All right. Still ahead, Tesla, record earnings, surging demand for electric cars. Oh, yeah. But also selling Bitcoin and helping its bottom line. Huh? We'll dive into the numbers. And if you haven't already, and if you are going to travel, you might need something to listen to. How about our podcast? In this worldwide exchange, you want to check out anything? Check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcasting apps. By the way, while you're there, leave a review. You know, five stars for the host. Why not? I'd do it for you. Dow Futures up 22. Back after this. Fasten your seat belts, put your tray in the locked and upright position, and get ready because it is the biggest 72 hours of the year for investors. According to Kramer, we'll tell you why. Futures, they're higher. Call it a Bitcoin bump. Tesla's record earnings getting a big boost thanks in part to the crypto. And it has nothing to do with cars. We'll explain. And amid the growing debate on taxes on Capitol Hill, Alon Moy is here. She spoke with a congressional gatekeeper on legislation and his grand overhaul plans. There's a grand building, U.S. Capitol. Sun not yet up, but we are on this Tuesday, April 27th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. I see what you did there. We're talking cars. We're talking travel. Keep your eyes on the road, your hands behind the wheel. Little doors action in the morning. If you didn't hear it, it was, it was the doors. Good call. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Or welcome. I'm Brian Sullivan. 530 here on a Tuesday morning. And here's how your money and investments look right now as we are halfway through this 5 a.m. hour. And stock futures, they are up. Not a lot, but they are up across the board. Dow futures up 15. NASDAQ futures up a little more, up about 24, of course, we are coming off record highs for the S&P and the NASDAQ, and it's been a little choppy lately. Volume has come down just a bit the last couple of days, but keep in mind, pretty good doggone year so far. The major average is up about 9 to 11%, depending on the average that you're looking at. Obviously, April has been a very strong month. When you're at a record and you go up even one point, you don't need your fourth grade math teacher to tell you what that means. It means you hit another record. We'll see if that happens today. Tomorrow, by the way, you got the Fed meeting. Well, it's today, but the decision tomorrow. OPEC and President Biden trying to sell his American families plan to the America and Congress tomorrow night on national TV. It's a biggie. All right. Well, let's hit some of the big stories that are happening right now on this Tuesday. Lyft is unloading its self-driving car unit. The ride-hailing company selling that division to a woven plant. That's a subsidiary of Toyota for $550 million. As part of that deal, both companies will work together on enhanced automated driving technology safety, according to the press release. Shares of Lyft are higher on the news. Jeff Bezos' Blue Origin has filed a protest with the Government Accountability Office against NASA. The company is challenging the space agency's award of a nearly $3 billion moon landing contract to Elon Musk's SpaceX earlier this month. The two were also competing against a Lidos subsidiary called Dynetics, 
with NASA previously expected to pick two of the three teams for the contract. In a statement to CNBC, Blue Origin called the SpaceX pick, quote, flawed, adding that NASA, quote, moved the goalposts at the last minute, a billionaire battle over space. And the California Public Employee Retirement System says it plans to vote for engine number one's four director nominees to ExxonMobil's board. Now, that move throws additional weight behind the hedge fund. Engine number one, by the way, if you didn't know, and you probably didn't, is a hedge fund, and it's in a proxy fight with ExxonMobil. That company is pushing for improved financial performance and a greater focus on clean energy from Exxon. It has been kind of a PR war with Exxon the last couple of days, and now the hedge fund is looking to wipe out four seats and replace it with four board seats of its choosing We'll see what ExxonMobil, a notoriously secret company, decides to do or if they respond. All right, now to Washington. As the top Democrat on the key committee when it comes to overhauling taxes, unveils his plan for sweeping new changes. Elon Moy sat down with him and joins us now with more. Who is this, this mystery gatekeeper, Elon? We kept saying him. I don't even know who it is. began with Democratic Congressman Richard Neal of Massachusetts. Now, he is the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, which is the gateway to all tax legislation. And we got the first look at his priorities for investing in what Democrats are calling human capital. Today, he's rolling out a massive new plan for benefits and tax credits targeted at working parents and families. Eight and a half million jobs have not been recovered yet. Four million people have stopped looking. Many of those, I suspect, were women who had to choose between gainful employment and child care with schools closed down. Now, he wants to provide universal paid family and medical leave that would last 12 weeks and would be worth about two-thirds of a typical worker's wages. In addition, he's also pushing to make the expansions of popular tax credits from the COVID relief package permanent. That's the child tax credit, the earned income tax credit, and the child and dependent care credit. And that is further than President Biden has said that he is willing to go. Now, I asked him how he wants to pay for all of this, and specifically, if he would raise taxes on capital gains. Here's what he told me. What we wanted to do first was to develop a design, and then we will address the issue of revenue. But treat this as an economic investment. This is about increasing productivity. This is about increasing stability in our homes. Neil also told me that he plans to make the case that there is a cost to not acting, Brian, and that the past year has taught us that the current system is not sustainable. Back over to you. All right, Alana, a lot to unpack here, certainly, because, listen, let's be honest. I mean, uh, Congressman Neal is in a high-tax state where a lot of these proposals, you want, a lot of the rich people that could get hit live in the states like Massachusetts, New Jersey, Maryland, where you are, Virginia, et cetera. Uh, I got to imagine there's going to be other Democrats that are like, yo, let's slow this down a bit. We're all in favor, but let's talk about this, this cap on the state and local tax deduction. I got to imagine other Democrats have a lot of uh, input, shall we say, into this plan. 
That's right. I mean, there is certainly a lot of jockeying to shape what will be the American family's plan from the Biden administration. You know, there's a contingent of lawmakers, bipartisan, who say they're not going to vote for anything unless it includes a removal of that cap on state and local tax deductions. But there are other Democrats who are pushing the plan to be even bigger than it already is. Bernie Sanders is saying that he wants to revamp Medicare, lower the age of eligibility, expand it to include things like dental other Democrats are also uh, joining in with Congressman Neal to say they want to see some of these tax credits made permanent. They want to address drug pricing as well. So there is a lot of inter-party lobbying over what this bill is going to look like. But to pay attention to the most important voice, one of those is going to be Richard Neal because he is the one who's going to be responsible for writing the bill in the first place. Elon Moy, great interview there. A lot of talk about taxes. That's the irony. A lot of the Democrats, their tax plans are going to overwhelmingly hit Democrat-run states. We'll see if those state citizens are willing to accept higher taxes on, you guessed it, themselves. Elon Moy, Elon, good stuff. We'll see you all day. Thank you. All right, let's talk Tesla. Posting better-than-expected quarterly results and posting a record profit. Revenue, by the way, up 74% to a year ago. For more on Tesla's quarter and the electric automaker's road ahead, we're joined by Tim Higgins, reporter at the Wall Street Journal and a CBC contributor. All right, Tim, we've talked a lot about Bitcoin and Tesla's balance sheet. Explain the connection that for for Tesla, it's not just all about selling electric cars. There's a little bit of of crypto action impacting some of the numbers. How so? Yeah, you got that correct. Uh, you know, we found out in the first quarter that that Tesla uh, put some of its money, some of its cash into into Bitcoin, and but we never really understood why. And we got a, kind of an explanation during their earnings call um, from the CFO, and it's it's about cash management and this idea of they wanted to find a place they could get some return, but they could still have access to it maybe later this year when they face potential headwinds. You, you have to remember they're trying to bring on two uh, new assembly plants this year, and the tradition at Tesla is those things are very painful to uh, to birth, so they might need that cash. Plus, there's also concerns out there about the uh, microchip shortage in the automotive industry. So they want to have some of that cash available, but they also still want to have uh, you know some returns there. So that's what they're telling us uh, this uh, today. Yeah, I guess uh, Elon Musk getting into a little, I don't want to call it a spat, but replying to Barstool's Dave Portnoy on Twitter last night, basically suggesting they sold a bunch of Bitcoin to try to uh, show that Bitcoin has ample liquidity to make it sort of, you know, they they stocked up on it because they want to use it. If you're going to sell something in Bitcoin, you need to have it. It's like having change in your cash register drawer. You can't get people change if you don't have the cash. And And that's what they're kind of saying about the Bitcoin sale. But I got to imagine, Tim, it's also kind of nice to have a pad. Tesla's always gotten beef for their environmental credits, right? It's like, well, no matter what you do, you can do this with the credits, you do that with the credits. Has crypto kind of become the same way, like a like a soothe for that balance sheet? Well, you bring up this interesting point. For years, the, the problem for Tesla has been its cash, not having enough of it for all the expenses that, that come from being a car company and not really having uh, its sea legs just yet. Uh, and it's been able to raise a lot of cash because of just the excitement in the market with investors. And so it's been able to do that cheaply in the last year or so. And then the question was, well, why are you using this cash for Bitcoin, right? Don't you need this for CapEx, for new factories, for rainy day? And so that's been the criticism. 
we'll, we're seeing that criticism now. And we're also, as you point out, you know, the, the compo, the, the way that a profit is made up this quarter uh, with those regulatory credits, uh, just a classic uh, complaint from some investors that they're not making enough money off the sale of the actual vehicles. Yeah, actual sale of cars. I mean, Tesla is a is a, I guess, a car company. It's a technology company. You ask a hundred people, you might get a hundred different answers. What are we seeing about the future for Tesla? I mean, a massive jump in car sales. Is this pace sustainable? Supply chain issues, production, you know, constraints. You got all these other EVs coming on the market. Tim, is there any sign that the Audi e-tron? Or the Rivian due out next year or any of these other, you know, lucid air. Are they hitting Tesla at all or is it still the dominant force in the electric car market? It's still the, uh, you know, the company to beat in the EV space. Uh, We've seen some uh, some success in in Europe with some competitors, but really Tesla is still still out there ahead of of most uh, companies. And the challenge for this year, though, is continuing to be the execution to bring uh, those new factories online. Uh, We've seen that the Model S and the Model X, these are some of their older vehicles, long in the tooth, they're refreshing them. Uh, They didn't come out in the first quarter. They they say they're going to start delivering in the second quarter. That was a $200 million uh, hit. Uh, because of, of of that, the way it's playing out, and that's it, kind of illustrates that the challenges they have on, on executing. If they if they're delayed at the, the end of the year with those new factories, that that'll go forward into the next year and delay those plans. And and you know, Wall Street and investors are are kind of counting on those sales to to propel next year. Uh, remember, Elon's like projecting fifty yeah. percent growth into the future. 50% is a big number, but Elon Musk's a, a guy with, with big numbers everywhere, and he seems to keep hitting these bees, going to, going to space. He's selling us EVs. He's digging tunnels under the ground. Who knows what's next? Never count him out. Tim Higgins, Wall Street Journal. Tim, a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, coming up, from electric cars to the red-hot real estate market, and can anything pump the brakes on just how hot that market has been? There may be. We'll speak with one expert about one troubling trend he's seeing. Stick around. All right, welcome back. We are set to get fresh housing data later this morning with the latest Case-Shiller Home Price Index and pending home sales later on in the week. As you know, real estate has been red hot with tight supply and record prices. But some new headwinds have been bubbling up. For more, we're joined by Jeff Taylor, co-founder of Digital Risk. Jeff, welcome what is some of the head? I got to imagine price is a headwind. I mean, some of the prices we're seeing in the bidding wars just seem out of control. Is that the biggest headwind you're seeing or is it something else? You know, actually, price is not the biggest headwind I'm seeing. To your point right now, what we're seeing is bidding wars across the nation, almost in every state. Here's the big thing I don't think people really are thinking about or talking about that much when it comes down to the housing market right now. We always talk about how tight the supply is, but why? what's the main driver why that supply is so tight? When you look at Generation X and Generation and the baby boomers, when they were sort of in their mid-30s, kind of halfway through that cycle, they were in the move-up trade. They were getting out of that first-time home they bought, and they were getting into a house that was bigger. Now, the biggest driver in the housing market is the millennial group. They're 27 to 41 years old. Here's the thing. 
they were renters or they were living at home. So as they go into buying into a marketplace, they're not putting anything back into inventory in the housing market. And I think that's the one of the major factors that's exasperating this unbelievably tight uh, inventory market that we're looking at right now. And hence, you're having bidding wars and, uh, and, and rising prices. Does no one put in their home up for sale because they, they realize, oh, I could sell and make a bunch of money, but oh, wait a minute, then I got to buy in the same market or some other hot market and probably just overpay for as much as somebody may have overpaid for my house. Well, no, so, so my point there really was they were renters. They don't have anything to put up for sale, right? So they were, they were renting or they were living with their parents as they now are ready to buy. It's again, they're looking to buy, but they're not putting anything up to sell. Uh, there's a stat that I track very closely by Altos Research. This week last year, there were 715,000 single residential family homes for sale, not under contract. This time, uh, this week, this year, there's 305,000. Look how much that shrunk mm. combined with what we know from the home builders who are to say, look, we could, sell, we could build, we could sell an extra 4 million homes if we could actually get the supply, if we could get the lumber, if we could build them quick enough. All those things are really playing into um, this incredibly you know, hot real estate market that we have and probably will have for another uh, you know, year, year and a half. Yeah, is there any sign that this is cooling off on a macro level? I mean, the amazing thing is, Jeff, the trend, you know, a couple years ago, there were people, not me, but there were people saying, millennials will never leave the city. You know, the suburbs are dead. Nobody, by the way, will ever drive again or ever live in the suburbs. Suddenly everybody needs a car. I mean, the suburbs are, are kind of red hot. Is this... But is this just a pandemic reaction? I mean, that's the question everybody has, right? It's like, did everyone just flee the cities to go to rural and suburban areas because they need a home office and a yard for their kids? Or is this a lasting trend? That, that's the question nobody seems to know. I think you're right. But I think like most things in life, the pendulum never seems to stay in the middle. It generally goes to one side or the other too quickly that it resets. I do think, though, this is going to be more of a long-term permanent state. And why do I say that? Because the thought process was going 15 months ago, if you wanted to have certain jobs and certain types of careers, you had to be in major cities. Now, I'm not saying that the whole work-from-home, work-remote thing is going to be a complete permanent thing, but in many industries, it's going to be 50-50. So that concept of being able to have a house which has your home office in case the kids had to stay home from school, designed the way that you want, that's so much more top of mind and more of a reality versus the way that we were conditioned to think about our jobs and our careers you know, going into the pandemic. So I think that you're still going to see a lot of that moving forward in the next uh, in the next year or so. But I also think that a lot of the real the uh, price depreciation we've seen, especially in you know San Francisco, New York, those markets, whether it be rental or buying, that does come back up because those are amazing cities. And I think, you know, as Americans sometimes we have a tendency to have a short memory. And I think you will see will see people coming back into the cities. That said, I still see that you I still see um, the suburbs being a very hot place. Yeah, listen, when you have a home office and you got kids, you don't work from home, you sleep at the office effectively and, and uh, the apartment, however cool you want to be in, in you know, Greenpoint, Brooklyn, that place gets a lot smaller when you have a few kids running around. Jeff Taylor of Digital Risk. Jeff, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. All right, on deck, Apex Financial's Lee Baker is here. He's going to be with the one stock he says is really undervalued right now. One stock undervalued, what could it be? Well, Lee will be here. And by the way, April is Financial Literacy Month. CNBC is committed to sharing message from business and thought leaders about the importance of financial education. 
Here is Far Peak Acquisition CEO and former NYSE president, Tom Farley. We need to start young. We need to educate everyone about the importance of money. Educate everyone about what it takes to be an entrepreneur or start a business. Teach them about how to become financially free, if you will. I had a benefit of growing up in a household where I was taught this on a daily basis, primarily by being pushed out the door to go work hard to earn a few bucks to have in my pocket. But everybody needs that opportunity. All right, welcome or welcome back. And let's get back down to the markets because we are gearing up for another busy day of quarterly results. A huge day. In fact, a huge week. Jim Cramer tweeting out earlier this morning, I don't know, like 3.30 in the morning, that the next 72 hours are going to, quote, run the gauntlet. And if you're not ready, you better go back to bed or go home because the next couple of days are huge. Let's talk more about it with Apex Financial owner and president, Lee Baker. Lee, thank you very much for joining us. You got the OPEC meeting today. Earlier, I said tomorrow they moved the meeting up a day. Shame on me. You got the Fed starting today, meeting tomorrow. The president talking tomorrow night. A couple hundred major companies reporting their earnings. I'm already exhausted just talking about it, much less getting through this. What are you most closely watching, Lee? Uh, watching all sorts of things, but I'm actually going to go off the board a little bit. I, I know we were all waiting uh, late yesterday to to hear from uh, Tesla, but going to go off the board a little bit. I find NEO to be interesting, uh, quite honest with you. Uh, I, I think there's potential upside and there's the support, if you will, from the Chinese government. So just going to go off the board a little bit. But like you, uh, this is going to be an exhaustive week, but I'm looking forward to it. What? Okay, NEO, the, the, the Chinese electric car maker, competitor to Tesla in some ways, its own company in, in certainly other ways, Lee. What sure. is it about NEO? I mean, this company kind of, listen, it, you know, it gets its knocks. A lot of people are skeptical, kind of came out of nowhere. What is it about Neo yeah. that you like? You know, so uh, I got a few gray hairs. And, and I think about Toyota when I was a kid. <laughs> You've got the support of, uh, of, of the government there. And, and I think that means a lot. Uh, you were talking earlier in the show about the travel and actually just the, the car travel uh, and the way it's picked up uh, as compared back to 2019. There's a ton of opportunity in the market, in their home market, if you will. Uh, and I think that just bodes well for the company. In addition, uh, they're doing some work as it relates to power generation and, and getting vehicles charged up quickly. So I, I think that bodes well for the company long term. Yeah, I mean, really an interesting pick there. And the stock has done very well. I mean, obviously, if you bought it, well, I guess any time before now, you've made some money on it, at least. So you're obviously yeah. not interested in taking profits. You're going to ride this out. Exactly. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the pullback uh, that occurred, I think, presents a buying opportunity. OK, pull back, buy the stock. You can see it going back to last year down a little bit. Very quickly, yeah. on a macro yeah. level, what's the most important thing to you? Earnings, guidance, the Fed? I, I, I think the Fed uh, standing pat is probably the most important thing. Uh, if we were to get a surprise from the Fed, and I do not think that's going to happen, but if we did get a surprise from the Fed, uh, I think that would not be good for the market. Uh, we're looking forward to President Biden's speech. But candidly, I think the idea uh, that uh, he's looking to raise taxes, the capital gains tax, uh, one, I don't think that if that were to come to pass, that the number would be uh, what's currently been floated out. But even if it does, I think when we look back at history in terms of what's happened for the higher cap gains rate, it hadn't been that big of a deal long term. 
All right, well said. Lee Baker, Apex Financial. Loving the Neo. Lee, thank you very much for coming on Worldwide right. Exchanges. Always have a great day. We'll see you soon. Take care. Absolutely. Happy to be back. All with right, you, folks, Frank. that does it. There's a lot going on. Like we said, thank you, Lee. OPEC today, the Fed today and tomorrow, the president tomorrow night, hundreds of earnings. We'll see you tomorrow on Worldwide Exchange. We'll start prepping now for tomorrow. Squawk Box is next with futures up a touch. Take care. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.